0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Dave Longstreth. I'm the outreach pastor here at Riverside. So happy that we're all together here today. Uh, So if you were here last week, Pastor Bill was up here preaching, and uh, he made a confession uh, he made a confession that he was a skeptic, and I'm sure that a lot of you were as shocked as I was about his confession. So today, you know, this inspired me. I would like to make a confession to you today, all right? So we're just, uh, we're just doing this, I guess. You see, because I've been keeping this uh, a secret for quite some time, and I don't really know how else to say it, but I'm awesome. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, I'm so awesome, I'm almost perfect. Um, I've got it all. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I know a lot of stuff. Um, I'm funny, according to my kids, I'm the world's number one dad. So if you thought you were the number one dad, no, I'm the number one dad. Um, according to my wife, I'm the world's best husband, and uh, I got quite the physique, as you can see. You know, um, I'd flex right now, but I don't want to put any of my boys to shame out there. Um, I'm also, and if you know me, you know this is absolutely true. I'm the happiest, most bubbliest person around. I mean, I never, uh, I never have an angry look or a bored look or a put-out look on my face. I'm always smiling 24-7. I mean, just by looking at you, me, you would think that everybody wants to be my friend. And I know it sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm not. I'm just calling it as I see it, Okay. <laughs> And you know what? Here in our church circles, we, we talk a lot about humility. It's important, right? It's important to be humble. Uh, well, I'm proud to tell you today that I'm probably one of the most humble people that you'll ever meet. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I have it all, but my head still fits through the door when I leave. And uh, oh, and I'm the outreach pastor, so I'm very others-centered. So others-centered that I like to go to the mall or Walmart and watch people because it makes me feel better about myself. Um <laughs> Can anybody relate to that, right? So I usually do the grocery shopping in our family and uh, because of our work schedules. So when I'm at the grocery store, I like to see what people are putting into their carts because I feel like they're watching what I put in my cart too, all right? So I'm standing there at the grocery store. I go over to the cereal section. I grab my box of bran flakes and I stick that in my cart and the person next to me has Fruity Pebbles and I'm just like, "Mm mm-hmm, you know how much sugar is in that box of Fruity Pebbles, not to mention red dye number 40? And know, uh, this is why I got such a great physique, right? And then I head over to canned foods, yeah, pick up a couple cans of uh, no-salt-added diced tomatoes or water chestnuts or something, and the guy next to me, he's putting Vienna Wieners and Spam in his cart, okay? That's not meat. Um, and then on the way up to the cashier... I'm not even going to comment on the guy who's loading his cart with TV din- frozen TV dinners. You know, I thought he was stocking the Kohler, but he's just putting them all in his cart. So I get up to the checkout aisle, and I'm the, I'm the guy here who, when I get to the checkout aisle, my cart is already categorized, arranged, the heaviest items are together, and the box foods are together. Anybody else? Um, you know. So you know that conveyor belt that you put your groceries onto, and it kind of slides everything up to the cashier? Well, I I have a system for doing things, just because I'm so awesome. And uh, I put all the heaviest items up front. They're first. And then it's the frozen foods. Um, And then after that, it's the cold foods. And then it's the boxed items. They're all together. And then finally, it's the fragile stuff, like the loaves of bread and the eggs and and, uh, whatnot. But these other people, mm mm-mm. They're just tossing stuff out of their cart, you know. And you know those little plastic dividers that you put on the conveyor belt. This is my stuff. That's your stuff. Um, you know they don't. They don't even see that. Stuff's f- flying all over the place, and. Uh I hate to see what it's like when they get home and unload their groceries, you know, because they got the five-pound bag of sugar right next to their loaf of bread. They got their fresh produce, and it's their their, uh, chemical cleaning uh, stuff, you know. And the cashier, they don't care. They just throw it all in the same bag, you know. Uh, You're lucky if they double bag it for you, right? And they don't even ask you anymore if uh, you want paper or plastic. You just get what you get. Um, And while I'm on a roll, while I'm on a roll... What about the people with the, uh, with the um, you know, the belt bags, I guess they're called, and uh, all the coupons, you know? So you're standing in line, and then, uh, for example, this one time, I'm standing there, and I loaded up the conveyor belt. Everything's just, it is a work of art. I want to take my phone out, take a selfie, you know, because it looks so good. And, uh, in, you know, and the lady in front of me, she pulls out her coach purse and the, all this, these wads of um, coupons that she didn't organize yet, and I'm like, oh, all right, well, here's a dilemma. Should I put everything back into my cart and go over to the next conveyor belt over? Nope, too late. Because the person behind me started throwing all their stuff up there and a five-pound bag of sugar landed on my loaf of bread, you know? And, and I look and I say, excuse me, ma'am, you see that plastic thing right there that divides our stuff? Can you keep your stuff on your side of the plastic thing and I'll keep mine here? And she looks at me and she says, don't judge me. And then I realize this. everything I told you isn't true. It's just a daydream of mine, some bit I wrote for my sermon. Um, Because I am not perfect. Far from it. I am not that smart. And if you know me, and you did laugh earlier, I don't have a bubbly personality. Um, I am still handsome, though, okay? Um, And I do have a great physique. Nah, just kidding. I am the world's best dad to my kids, Probably not the world's best dad, but to my kids, I am. I'm not as put together as I thought I was. Anybody else in that camp? You know, when you really look, that, you know, you look at yourself. We're not together as as we think we are. So that leads me to why we are here today. We are here to talk about something that's actually real. This morning, we're going to be dealing with one of the most quoted uh, passages of the Bible by both followers of Jesus and people who aren't following him yet. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and this is just the main thing that drives you absolutely nuts about church people. In fact, most non-church-going people probably quote this command, but they don't even realize that Jesus was the one who said it. You know it's in the Bible somewhere. Anybody want to take a guess at which command I'm talking about today? I hear murmurs. Uh, Do not judge. If you were thinking that, ding, 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 congratulations. This is one of Jesus' most popular teachings. What does it mean to not judge? So I want to invite you to turn into your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. You can follow along in your notes. If you got your Riverside app on your smartphone, you can look at the live tab, or if you're using U version, you can go to the live event section and look up Riverside Community Church in Oakmont, and you'll find the notes for today. We'll also have them up on the screen behind me. So this morning we are finishing up our series titled Blind Spots, What Keeps Us From Seeing Jesus? And if you like to share your thoughts and reflections on social media, we are using the hashtag BlindspotsRCC. And this morning, I've incorporated some thoughts from Pastor Andy Stanley. He's the lead pastor at a church called North Point in Atlanta, Georgia. So, don't judge me. Thou shalt not talk about my clothes, worry about who I'm talking to, judge me by the way I talk, the way I look, or what I do. I don't want to be judged. Do you want to be judged? Nobody wants to be judged, right? And uh, just circumstantially, this is awesome, this past week my wife Carrie, she had to go downtown to the Allegheny Courthouse for jury duty. (laughs) Anybody ever had the pleasure of serving in jury duty before? Okay. Um, Well, she didn't want to go, because she's got a taxing job, many responsibilities, and to give up at least one day's worth of work to go down and be a part of jury, jury duty, not, not something that she was excited about. Me, however, take a paid day off of work to go downtown and sit around and judge people? <laughs> nah, just kidding. I don't like jury duty either. Um, now, when you are being interviewed as a potential juror, there's a couple questions that they ask you. They're, they're trying to size you up, figure you out. Uh, of course, they're going to ask you things like your basic information like age, your citizenship, whether you can read, uh, uh, whether you can understand English. Um, they're going to ask you if you have any medical, personal, financial, or legal disqualifications for serving as a, a juror. And side note. I don't think that they're going to be sympathetic to our financial considerations about the $18 that they pay you every day that you're serving on jury duty, wow. okay? Uh, do you know anyone involved in the case? They're going to ask that. They're going to try to figure out, are you, uh, have any prejudices about that? Can you be fair and impartial? Can you accept the law no matter what your personal beliefs are? And then they'll ask some interesting questions. Uh, they don't always ask these particular questions, but they have been known to ask these questions. What newspapers do you read? What uh, TV stations do you watch? What radio stations do you listen to, like CNN, Fox, N- uh, NPR? What kind of bumper sticker do you have on your car? Can you believe that? What kind of bumper sticker do you have on your car? Uh, do you have the Christian fish? Do you have the Christian fish with the Darwin feet? I know? Do you have a bumper sticker that says, In case of rapture, this vehicle will be unmanned? Uh, Maybe your bumper sticker says, Team Trump, or maybe it says, Never Trump. Um, Maybe your bumper sticker says, Jesus loves you, but everybody else thinks you're a jerk. (laughs) Um, So they're trying to size you up, figure you out. So here's the question for us today. Why do we as Christians get judged as judges? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because uh, there's some outspoken Christians, people of our religion, who are judgmental. But not just Christians. Why do you think that religious people in general tend to be judgmental? Whether Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever, it's it's pretty much a fact that religious people get judgmental pretty quickly. So why do we do it? Why are we so judgmental? Well, according to Stanley, he provides two reasons why he thinks that we as religious people get to be so judgmental. And the first one is this we judge because we are jealous. We judge because we're jealous. We see sinners as having more fun than we're having, and we're mad about it. You know, look at uh, those filthy sinners having so much fun together, not stuck here at home reading their Bibles like us. We're going to try to live a life that honors Christ, and these people do whatever they want, and they live however they please, and on top of that, they're getting away with it. The average religious person would feel that if I can't do it, then you shouldn't either. If I can't do that because my religion won't let me, then you shouldn't either. I see you having fun doing something that I'm not allowed to do, and I'm jealous, so now I'm going to judge you. I've heard this before. If sin isn't fun, then you're doing it wrong, okay? Um, I hope that's not the only thing you remember today from this message. Uh, Not really what I'm going for. So, we get upset when we see other people living in sin and getting away with it. Here we are trying to be good people. We're living by God's standards. We're obeying the Bible. We're enjoying our lives as followers of Jesus. And these people, they just do as they please. They seem to be enjoying their lives, and they're getting away with it. Um, and they're, doing, they're enjoying their lives more than we are enjoying ours. How about this? Have you ever known any Christians uh, who seem to be almost happy that there's a hell? Okay, glad they're not going there, but they know some people who are, and that'll teach them for having so much fun, right? Uh, Sorry, but that's not really what Jesus was going for when he said, come follow me. Here's the point. We judge because we're jealous. And another reason that we judge is we judge because we are self-righteous. Now, this one stings a little bit. This one hits close to home for me. I've been there. There were times where I feel like I've been self-righteous. There are definitely times um, that I have judged people because of it. Self-righteousness is ignorant and is arrogant. And here's why. Self-righteous people compare themselves to others all the while trying to keep God on a leash like a little pet dog. Sit, God, sit. Oh, would you look at her? Who does she think she is? I can't believe he would do something like that. I'm so much better than her. I can't believe this. That person is so, why would he? Are you kidding me? Can you believe that she threw her kitty litter on my loaf of bread? (laughs) Sit, God, sit. Because it's so easy for self-righteous people to judge other people. Meanwhile, they're attempting to tame God according to their prideful hearts. Self-righteous people dumb down God's holiness and elevate their own. And consequently, the self-righteous are rarely self-aware. The point is that if you're religious, be careful, because religion leads to self-righteousness. And Jesus knew that religious people were naturally drawn to being judgmental. He knew that we would be self-righteous at times, and that if that's left unchecked, it could destroy us. So that's why he commanded us not to judge. The interesting thing is that he had a whole lot more to say than just don't judge. So, we're going to take a look at that together. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Here it is. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the plank of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So verse 1, he says, do not judge, comma. Do not judge my behavior. Don't compare me to your neighbor's husband. Don't you dare confront me about what I do. It's none of your business. Don't judge, period. Does that sound familiar? The problem is this. When Jesus teaches us this, he does not put a period after do not judge. He puts a comma there because he said, do not judge, comma, or you too will be judged. Now, that's a good follow-up to tell somebody when you feel judged by them. You can turn the tables on them and say, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Let's say that together. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now let's put a little attitude with it, okay? (laughs) Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Feels good, doesn't it? All right? Doesn't that sound way better than just saying, don't judge me? Jesus said, it's coming back on you. Now he's going to elaborate. Verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This literally means with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, that measure will be used against you. So basically, to summarize what Jesus is saying here so far, he's giving us the golden rule of judging. Judge unto others as you would have others judge unto you. You judge others the way you wanna be judged. So this brings us to a very important question. How do you want to be judged? How do you wanna be judged? I'll tell you how I wanna be judged. I wanna be judged not, okay? That's how I wanna be judged. But if you're gonna judge me, I want you to judge me mercifully, right? Mercifully. When you judge me, I want you to take into account my whole life, where I came from, where I've been, what I've gone through, what kind of circumstances that I've dealt with. When you judge me, I want you to take into account how I've been treated by other people. I want you to take into account my insecurities, the things that I have no control over, the temptations that I struggle with. In my case, I'd appreciate if y'all don't judge me because I don't have a smile on my face 24-7, right? Now, they say that it takes more muscles to frown than to smile, but over the years, for some reason, uh, the muscles in my face have been conditioned as such that it takes more effort to smile than to frown, okay? I don't know why, but that doesn't make me a jerk, or it doesn't make me mean. I'm not an angry person, so I would like you to judge me mercifully. I'd like you to take into account my entire story, okay? Anybody still judging me? Okay. (laughs) All right. Isn't that how you want to be judged? Isn't that how you want to be judged? Before someone sizes you up and writes you off, don't you want that person to be fair and to take everything into account? Don't just look at that one thing, that one tattoo. Don't just look at that one time that you saw me hanging out with so-and-so or that one time when you heard me say something in frustration. Don't just judge me by that one thing that I liked on Facebook, okay? No, take my whole life into account. Jesus continues in verse 3 and says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? This is the part we like because it confirms what we've suspected all along. There is something wrong with her. There is something wrong with him. Now, it's okay to notice a problem with someone. Really, it is. There's, there's something wrong with them, and it's okay that we take notice, that we draw conclusions. But Jesus goes on to say this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? There's probably two reasons we do that. Here's the first. Uh, Because it's more fun to look at what's messed up with you because it distracts me from what's messed up with me. In fact, your issues make me feel a whole lot better about me, so uh, I go grocery shopping when I start feeling down about myself, right? (laughs) Right? I see what's wrong with him. I see what's wrong with her. I see what's wrong with that guy over there, that person over there. It's obvious what's wrong with you, but I'm not at all convinced that there's something wrong with me. Now we get to verse 4. Jesus clarifies his statement by taking us right to the heart of the issue. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Jesus is saying this, how dare you point out what's wrong with someone else when there is something wrong with you? And then Jesus punctuates it with something that none of us want to hear. It's at the beginning of verse 5. It says, you hypocrite. If you'd like a good definition of what a hypocrite is, it's this. It's someone who's more preoccupied and fascinated with what's wrong with someone else rather than what's wrong with themselves. It's the people who would rather fix other people instead of fixing themselves. It's harsh, isn't it? But it's true. Because I have issues, you have issues, we have issues. You should focus on yourself. And here's a lesson from Jesus that that it this is what it seems like he's saying. Mind your own business. Couldn't he have just said that and been done with it? Lesson over. Let her deal with her stuff. Let him deal with his stuff because he knows himself best. You go look in the mirror and everybody mind your own business. Let's pray the end. But Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, this is where Jesus actually begins the lesson. Listen to what he says next. You hypocrite, comma. First, Take out the plank in your own eye and then you will be able to clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. So your messed upness helps me to recognize my messed upness and as I deal with my messed upness I become a better follower of Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. When I'm tempted to pass judgment on thee I should stop and check for traces in me. That's a good lesson. So we can walk away today with this. Your issues are such a mess that it helps me to see my problems and I'm better off for it. Your faults help me to examine mine. Consequently, I'll be a better version of me because you're such a mess. Um, no. Okay? Because the problem is that following Jesus never ends with what's in it for me. The problem with minding my own business is that it does nothing for the person whose business needs minding. So Jesus, as usual spins everything around and takes what we think that he's going to say and he turns it inside out because it's not about minding your own business. Because in God's kingdom, or as we call it, the church, it's important to appropriately approach a fellow follower of Jesus about their struggles. Now let me take a moment and really emphasize this. I think that this is very important, and I think that this is why a lot of people who don't yet follow Jesus have issues with people who claim to be followers of Jesus, so you might want to pay attention here. We are never commanded to judge non-Christ-following people regardless of their sin, regardless of their lifestyle, their choices, their behaviors, their words, or their values. It's not the job of Christians to judge people who are not Christians. That's God's job, and it's His job alone. He doesn't need us Christians to go run our mouths about people outside the church. Jesus instructs those who follow Him to lovingly approach and confront those who are in the church, the people who are committed to following Him. So, to recap, Those outside the church, not our job to judge. Those who are are a part of the church, it is our job to lovingly correct and help them in their struggles. So Jesus is commanding us first to address our issues, not for our sake, but rather to prepare us so that we can help others with theirs. That's not judgmental. That's obedience. And that takes us back to one of the central commands of Jesus where he says something like this, above all else, if you forget everything else that I've ever taught you, please do this one thing, love each other. Love each other. How can we love our brothers or sisters when jealousy or self-righteousness becomes a blind spot You see, we all have a speck in our eye, don't we? But when that speck in our own eye is this close we can't see past it, it becomes a plank in our eyes. Because self-righteousness and jealousy get in the way of love. Love forbids me to size you up and write you off. Love also forbids me to size you up and walk away. So therefore, do not judge, but don't stop there. I think this teaching from Jesus addresses three different audiences, and if you're like me, this is probably going to strike a nerve because I think that most of us are going to fall into at least one of these audiences, if not all of them. The first audience is this group of people. You size people up and you write them off. This was the number one group of people that just drove Jesus absolutely nuts. This is the self-righteous audience, the Pharisees, the hypocrites. And you can quickly gather, if you read through the Gospels, even just once, that Jesus despises self-righteousness. Maybe you've been a long-time follower of Christ. You've lived a pretty clean life, especially in comparison to others. Perhaps you're a veteran Christian, and you've, you've uh, been around the church for a long time. Maybe you've never done anything really bad, and you just can't understand why people continue to live the, the way they do. And when that begins to come out in your thoughts, and when that get, begins to come out in your words, in your actions, or on your social media presence, then that self-righteousness turns you into a judgmental Christian, and that is not a Christ-like quality. And if this describes you now or ever, what should we do in response to that? We should turn away from being self-righteous. Turn away from it. Steer clear of this mindset. Because it drove Jesus crazy back in his day, and I guarantee you that it drives him crazy today just as much. If the sin of others doesn't break your heart, it's probably because your heart hasn't been broken with your own sin. And when you see other people sin, and your first reaction is judgment, you've probably never came face to face with your own brokenness. The next audience that Jesus is talking to in this group of people is this: you size people up and walk away. Now, this group of people clearly sees the issues that other people are going through and it breaks, it breaks our hearts. We might say things like, "God, if it wasn't for your grace and forgiveness, that would be me." Or, "Lord, I'm not going to pray for." Or, "Lord, I'm going to pray for so and so because I see the mess that they're in, and it reminds me that I'm doing uh, so great because I'm following you." Or, "God, it just breaks my heart that He's doing that to His wife. I just want to lift Him up and ask You to do something, but I'm not going to go talk to Him because it's none of my business. You can see what other people's issues are, but you refuse to help them with their brokenness." But Jesus teaches, it is our business. Confronting other followers isn't insensitive. It doesn't have to be something that is harsh to confront somebody. The word confront alone makes it sound mean, but it doesn't have to be that at all. Confronting others, other followers' issues or their, their brokenness, it's what love requires of us. So if we fall into the audience... Of sizing people up and walking away, then what you need to do today is help other people with their struggles. And you probably know exactly what you need to do. This isn't the job of pastors and teachers and church leaders alone. This is the job of anybody who follows Christ. And this is how you get to leverage what God has done in your own life to benefit somebody else. So you know who you are and you know exactly who you need to confront in love and humility. This is true love. Finally, there's a third group of people, and that is this. You've been sized up, but refused to listen. Someone has come to you about something about your life, and, decide, and you decided that they were being judgmental, and you wrote them off. You have no right to judge me. Mind your own business. But in your heart of hearts, you knew they were right. You knew they were on to something, and you knew that you had to change. But you got defensive and response. And defensiveness ensures that your past will continue to show up in your future. No one confronts other people perfectly, period. It doesn't matter how they've prepared and practiced. When someone approaches you, it can get messy. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But don't use that imperfection in confronting you as an excuse to be defensive and refusing to listen. That's just wrong. And if that's you, your application today is this. You need to listen. We need to listen. I've been there. Trust me, I have. They weren't being judgmental. They took a risk in confronting you and to love you the way that Jesus required of them. So take heed. As we're pondering all this, I want to invite the worship team back up. I want to invite the ushers to go prepare for communion because in a couple minutes, we're going to take communion together. So I would just like to ask for a show of hands today. How many of us would fall into at least one of these three categories? For our response today, we're taking communion together. We're partaking in the broken body, the the shed blood. And the worship team, they're going to lead us in a song while we distribute the bread and the juice. And I'm going to ask you to hold on to these communion elements this morning. And then Donnie's going to come and he's going to lead us in communion together. But if you have any questions about taking communion, you're not sure, in your bulletins, there's some information about that. I encourage you to read that. Let me encourage you in response to this message. Be honest before God, because right now it's between you and God. Right now in this place, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, what your neighbor's doing or thinking. What matters is that you're open, your heart is open for God to speak to you this morning. So I want to ask you, let's confess to him which of these three audiences resonates with us the most. Are you someone who sizes people up and writes them off? Our response today to that is turn away from that self-righteous attitude. Are you someone who sizes people up and walks away? Our response today is ask the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can come along others in humility and love and help them with their brokenness and with their issues. Are you someone who refuses to listen? Your response is to stop being so defensive and just start listening. Take it to heart. Maybe even thank them for loving you that much. Maybe thank them for having the boldness and courage to come help you with your brokenness. Are you all three? My guess is most of us are. So I want to invite you, let's seek the Lord together. I'm going to pray, and then I want you just to remain in this attitude of prayer and submission to God's Spirit as Donnie comes and leads us in communion. Let's bow our hearts together. God, thank you for loving us and for your loving correction because without your discipline, we would just be spoiled. Help us to remove the blind spots that keep us from seeing you clearly. Help us to get rid of jealousy. Help us to walk away from our own self-righteousness and pride that so often causes us to stumble and to go against what you've taught us Help us to reach out to a world of people that aren't yet living for you and to love them into the kingdom of God. To share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who do not yet believe. Trusting that you will come alongside of them. That you will take care of things. Help us to help our brothers and sisters in the church and to love them enough and their struggles, but help us also to see our struggles. And from our own brokenness, help us to help others who are also broken. And this morning, Lord, as we prepare to partake together in communion, we are reminded that you gave up your body to be broken so that our brokenness could be redeemed. Not just ours, but the brokenness of our fellow Christians And your broken body is available to everyone who would seek redemption, not just those who are already following you. And as we drink of the cup together today, remind us that our stains have been washed away, not by our own righteousness, because we could never blot out our sins, but we've been made clean only by your sacrifice, Lord Jesus by your shed blood because it's only by your sacrifice that we are here that we are clean and forgiven so help us to keep that ever in front of us so that our eyes are always fixed on you and it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray all these things Amen Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church podcast For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.